0: He has. <laughs> oh sorry. Good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Glad you could join us today. It's good to be back. My wife and I were in Clayton, New Jersey 2 weeks ago. That's kind of her stomping ground. We both grew up in South Jersey. I was preaching in First Baptist Church of Clayton and then last week I was preaching in Maine up at Church of the Open Bible. So but I have not forgotten you. It was good to be back. They didn't give me any better offers, so I'm like, fine, I'll just come back here. No, it's great to be back, and we appreciate your prayers. This morning, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Numbers. So if you're visiting with us, we always have extra Bibles. So our, uh, we'll have a couple folks coming. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible or if you forgot your Bible. But if you're new, we want you to keep the Bible, and we welcome you to start studying the Bible with us. So with that in mind, let me tell you where we are. We're reading through the book of Numbers, and I can't tell you how many people I meet who, who like me, grew up in going to church, but we didn't study the Bible. And they're like, oh, yeah, I already know the Bible. And then all of a sudden you realize, I don't know anything about the Bible. So hopefully, as you study along with us, we have all kinds of opportunities for you to learn God's word, and you'll hopefully experience its transforming power. But we're doing a series in the book of Numbers called Wandering, War and Worship. So... It's kind of interesting to think of the analogy. To be a Christian is to to be converted, to turn your back on this world, to begin to follow Christ. And the Bible describes the Christian's experience as being in the wilderness headed for the promised land. And so in the history of the church, Christians have had different songs to describe that, like songs about being on the gospel bus. If you want to ride on the gospel bus, you must be born again, or... This train is bound for glory, this train. But the idea of wandering is a good way to think about what it is to be a Christian, because the Bible says this world is no longer our home. We're strangers and aliens, and, and so we're learning that we're in a war because we're trying to live differently from the world, and Satan doesn't like that, and most of the world won't like that. But we're also not sitting around complaining, we're worshiping. And so as, as we've been studying this book, we found that we're at Mount Sinai down here in the Red Sea, and for a year, the people of God, about a million of them, have been gathered, receiving the commandments from God, and the book of Numbers is showing them how to get organized, and today, we're going to see their first movement after a, a year at Mount Sinai. They're going to move up to that place called the Wilderness of Paran, right in the middle, but... As I mentioned, the book has three sections. The first nine chapters were mobilizing the people. So we've spent the last month or two just looking at how they were getting ready. Today, they're gonna begin moving and we're gonna see that it goes downhill from here, that God is displeased with many of them. But just a reminder, you can listen to the messages online, but the first two chapters were a census for the tribes for war. The second two chapters were a census for worship and we talked about how God had arranged the Levites, and then God was purifying them to get them ready, the Nazarite vow, the lepers, the cleansing for adultery, and then the last two weeks, Pastor Bob and Pastor Jonathan Master were talking about getting ready and celebrating the Passover, so this morning, we're on the move, and today, we're in Numbers chapter 10, and we have four lessons for God's people in the wilderness, so God's going to show up, and they're going to start moving, so the first thing we're going to see is we're going to get some lessons about trumpets, being ready for the trumpet. So we'll pray and then we'll look. Thank you, God, for your words. They're very powerful and they're true. And Lord, I ask that you will speak to us so that our hearts receive what you wanna say to us. We need to be encouraged or corrected or comforted or trained or challenged. God, as your people, we, we need your word To help us to think differently from this world. Thank you that it is the truth, and you said the truth will set you free. So speak, and those who have not yet joined in following Christ, may they make a a strong decision to believe and follow the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this this passage, the first 10 verses, God's going to give them these detailed instructions about trumpets. He says, I want you to make two trumpets, and you're going to use these trumpets for four things. Number one, You're going to use them to call an assembly. If I want to get the people together, you're going to blast these trumpets. Secondly, you're going to use them as an alert. You're going to blast these trumpets when it's time to move. So, when the when the cloud moves, I'll blast the trumpet. The priest will blast the trumpets, and we'll move. Third, the trumpets were going to be used as an alarm. So, not just an alert, but an alarm. If if we come under attack, remember the people. There's a million people, so they wouldn't even know that over here these people are being attacked, so, the, so the, the trumpet would remind them. And then the fourth thing is not only for war, but the trumpets were used for worship. He says, and, and then you'll blow the trumpets in the day of your gladness as you celebrate the sacrifices. So let's look at the passage, and then we'll talk about what does this have to do with us today? So first verse, the Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, make for yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work, you shall make them. We don't know a whole lot about these trumpets. The historian Josephus in the first century wrote about them. He said they were about this long, and they were kind of shaped like a, what we would think of a flute. And they weren't poured into a, a cast, but rather they were hammered out. And at this point, we're going to learn that only the priests were to blow the trumpets, and they started out with two of them. Now let's look at what they're using them for. This is God's idea. Number one, you shall use them for summoning the congregation. So if I want to get everyone's attention, he says, and for having the camps set out. So they had to learn this. They had to teach this to the leaders and say, listen for these trumpets. When both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So if this trumpet was blown, everybody was to look either north, south, east, or west, whatever you had to do to look towards the tabernacle. And then if only one is blown, then the leaders of the heads of the divisions of Israel shall assemble before you. It's kind of interesting because I was thinking about even today, God's people, even as local churches, sometimes we have congregational meetings, sometimes we have leaders' meetings, but these trumpets were to to alert people. But then third, when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown for them to set out. So again, they had to practice this and say, when you hear this, this means this. Now one question that sort of goes, well, wait a minute, why do they only have the east side and the south side move out? What about the north and west? Some of you know that the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, it's called the Septuagint, during the, the time between the Old and New Testament. The Septuagint has directions for the south and, and, and or the other two uh, directions. We're not sure why it's not in the Hebrew Bible, but it's not like God only wanted two camps to move. So he says, when you convene the assembly, you shall blow without sounding an alarm. So there was a distinction. And don't miss that because they had to learn to listen to the distinct sounds of the trumpet. But now God says, only the priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets. There was only two of them. Aaron only had two sons left. Two of them died. And this shall be a perpetual statute. So we're going to keep doing this. We're going to have trumpets. It has to be blown by the priests. And he says, And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. In case we think this is totally weird, like that's like extraterrestrial. It's really not. I mean, this st- our military still uses trumpets. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, if you didn't have radios and emails and loudspeakers, you used trumpets to send messages and people knew to listen, right? Much like we would think about air raid signals and all. It's not that bizarre. But notice the last one, verse 10. Also, not just for alerts, not just for alarms for war, but also for worship. In the day of your gladness, And in your appointed feasts, on the first day of your months, now you go, what is the day of your gladness? Is that payday? No, there were certain days where they were to celebrate God's goodness to them. And they had these appointed festivals that they would blow the trumpets over the burnt offerings and over the sacrifice of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. Now remember, the Bible says all of Scripture is, is inspired by God and profitable for us. So, so I want you to think about a couple of things. What do we mean today when, when, when I say Christians should be ready for the trumpet? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, this idea of celebrating with trumpets over the sacrifice should remind us as Christians that we are regularly supposed to assemble to celebrate, Okay says, on the day of your gladness. Well, this is why when Christians gather on Sunday, we sing. We sing because we're celebrating the great sacrifice that Christ made. And it's interesting because a lot of times, maybe you don't feel like singing. You're like, you know, I I don't feel like it today. Wait a minute. Or when people say to me, you know, I didn't get much out of the worship. I'm like, wait, you really need to think this through. It's not for you. And when you don't feel like singing, what are you saying to God? Eh, You know, so so we learn. And, And then Christianity is supposed to be something that we celebrate. Sometimes Christians are a terrible example of Christianity. They look so miserable all the time, and they're cranky and judgmental. The Bible says we should rejoice in the Lord always. I get it. We have problems and struggles, but we're called to celebrate. And it's interesting, as you continue to read through the Old Testament, these trumpets became a big deal by the time we get to chronicles it says the levitical singers stood on the east side of the altar with 120 priests blowing the trumpets There's probably only about 200 people 250 in this room like half of you blowing trumpets it was to praise god in, in chapter 7 it says the priests stood at their post with the instruments of music and they praised the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting while the priest blew trumpets. So, as you gather, think about that. Part of what we do is we gather to celebrate the gospel. You're like, oh, I don't have much to celebrate. Maybe not in your circumstances, but you do in your Savior. And so, don't, I don't feel like singing. Think about how communion is to celebrate, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you that you love me, you died for me. So the first thing we remember about trumpets is they they remind us to celebrate the sacrifice, celebrate the gospel. Secondly, and this is interesting because what else do we do when we come together? Paul actually picked up on these trumpets and he referred to them in 1 Corinthians 14 in a very interesting way. In the early church, the Spirit of God was working in the church, and he gave different, different gifts to people, speaking in tongues, healing, prophesying. And so the Corinthian church became enamored with the gift of tongues where you could speak in other languages. And so when they were assembling together, everybody wanted to speak in tongues. And so Paul says, listen, in 1 Corinthians 14, tongues should not be a priority in your services because people don't know what you're saying. Because when you come together, Christians are supposed to not only celebrate, they're supposed to seek to edify one another. So in 1 Corinthians 14, he says this. He goes, people who who prophesy and speak God's word, they edify and exhort and they console people. They build them up. But he says, if you speak in tongues, it doesn't profit unless someone interprets it. And then he refers to this passage. He goes, If a bugle or a trumpet produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also, since you're zealous, seek to abound to edify the church. So I want to add something to your repertoire. Getting ready for church is more than just what you're going to wear and keeping the kids from screaming, right? Getting ready for church is a conscious effort to say, as I gather with other Christians, there's probably going to be somebody that I could speak to that it's going to be valuable. Paul says, whenever you assemble, seek to edify. Don't produce an indistinct sound. So an indistinct sound would be, hey man, how about those eagles? Nothing wrong with that. But how about, hey, how's it going? Could I pray for you? Let me share something that God's been teaching me. What's God doing in your life? And this isn't just on Sunday, but as a regular thing, the Bible teaches us that we have opportunities to use our words to encourage other Christians. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let rotten words come out of your mouth, only words that give grace to others so that they're edified. So think about how Christians, when we think about the bugles and trumpets, when we gather, we celebrate, but we also want to get to know each other. And that's why we encourage you to get in small groups because the more church multiplies, you have to divide where you get to know people and you can share life with one another and then seek to build each other up. But there's a third thing we can learn from the trumpets. It's very interesting that Paul used a word from the Greek word for trumpet in the book of Thessalonians. This is what he said about the Thessalonian church. He said, I'm so thankful for you. You're an example because from your church, the word of God trumpeted all over Asia. Now now think about that. We're in Bucks County. Our church can be a trumpet for the gospel. I love when I meet people and they say, say, Oh yeah, I go to Riverstone Church. Oh, I've heard of that. I'm always afraid to ask, what have you heard? (laughs) But you've heard of it, right? So so we don't need to put a big tower and a sign and you know, a picture of somebody going, come. You and I, as we go out, each week we have a chance to trumpet the gospel, to, to share it with others, to pray with others, to, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to love our children, to teach them the gospel. How awesome for, for little Corey to say, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. That, that's, listen, that's a God honest truth. And as cute as that is, I'll tell you right now. If you think you're righteous and you're a good person and you, you're one of the good people that's going to go to heaven, you're lost. And Jesus says, I didn't come for you. You're lost. I came to call sinners to repentance. See, there's a lot of people that, that think their religion is what's going to get them to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you have to forsake your religion and rely on your Savior. It's by His grace. You have to admit you're a sinner. And so we're trumpeting out the gospel, and some of you are doing a great job at that. You pray, you talk to your loved ones, you invite your neighbors to, to, to different activities. And I, I, the Lord just gave me such an encouragement last night, I want to share something with you. I have a bunch of relatives that I pray for every day. I try to pray every day, and I miss a few days, but I mean, I name them before Christ day and night, and, I, and, and I'm asking the Lord to save them, and and. There's a segment of them, some of my nieces and nephews that I've been praying for for years and I'm like, Lord, how long? Well, two weeks ago, I preached down in in South Jersey and I invited them all and probably about eight of them showed up. So I got this text last night and I want to share this with you because I want to encourage you to keep just sharing the word and praying. Hey, Uncle Tom, I have a question. A friend of mine wants to accept Christ into her life. Now, this particular niece far as i know he's not a christian right never showed any profession doesn't go to church no but she says a friend of mine wants to accept christ into her life i'm like wait what i want to help her to do so but i'm having a hard time remembering how you worded it in your sermon the other week of which my wife said afterward wow she was really friendly she sat with us when we went out to breakfast we weren't making the connection i think she received Christ." So, because she's going, hey, can you help me lead this girl to Christ? And I'm thinking, wait, what about, like, so, so then she writes, actually, she agreed to go to church with me tomorrow, so, so if I have any questions, I'll call you. And then she says, oh, by the way, could you pray for my boyfriend? He's struggling with some things, and, and, um, he's so far away, I think he's ready to fully turn his life over to the Lord. And I'm going, wait, wait, what, am I missing something here, (laughs) right? So keep trumpeting forth the gospel to your children, to your friends. It's not like we're annoying loud, but just praying and, and sharing and, and asking God to, you know, we're not trying to build some big kingdom here. We're trying to reach people for Christ at the coffee shop. They don't have to come to church to come to Christ because we're taking the gospel out there. So first thing we need to remember is, hey, listen to the trumpet. But don't forget, the last thing is the the final trumpet, right? Listen for that trumpet because the Bible tells us that in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, Jesus is coming back. And, and, and I'll be the first one to say, sometimes I forget that and I'm not as excited about it as I used to be. When I was a new Christian, I'll never forget this. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And I was so excited I was taking a nap one afternoon in my bedroom, and I was kind of like in that half slumber place where like half of you are right now, like, come back to me, right? (laughs) And we had a train that ran past our house. It wasn't next door, but but it was close enough. And I heard the horn of the trumpet, I mean, of the the train, and I literally thought it was it. I burst awake. I went, ah! Uh, (laughs) It was rather disappointing, but it was kind of exciting. And it kind of like is in a way affirms to you, yeah, I believe this. I really believe I'm going to hear a trumpet, bam, and I'm out of here. And the Bible tells us to think about that and to be ready for it. And that's why we gather to hear the word of God. So that's the first thing. We, we learn some lessons from the trumpets. But secondly, we have to learn how to follow the leaders. If you remember when, when God brought them out into the wilderness, he didn't say, okay, first come, first serve, shotgun, I want that spot over there. Oh, look, there's water over here. I want to park by the oasis. God goes, no, I'm going to organize you, okay? Here's how you're going to, and this is just the beginning, like there's a million people, right? But the tribes are organized under leaders, right? And they had specific locations, and this, this whole thing was going to move, and they had to learn how to move. And so remember, we, we, we learned that there was a a pillar of fire at night, and a cloud of smoke by day, and, and they had to be ready, and watch, and when that thing moved, it's not like people stood there all day long, staring at that thing, they might not even notice, hey, it's moving, and so the trumpets would remind them, but, but in this passage, they go out, and we're going to read how they followed their leaders, and, and, and God didn't just say, okay, race you to the car, race you to the next place, like he told them, this tribe goes forth. So when I blow this trumpet, you go. Then you guys move the ark. Then you guys move the instruments of the tabernacle. It's all about me. You're following me. I'm leading you through the wilderness. So, so you stop and you go. And even the ark of the covenant, which had God's presence, that, that was protected and, and, and in a pronounced place of, of the centrality of God. And you go, okay, well, how does that work for me? In what way do I follow my leaders. Well, let's read the passage and then we'll talk a little bit about us as Christians. So in the second month, in the second month, on the 20th of the month, the cloud was lifted from over the tabernacle of testimony. Like no more practice, game on, showtime, we're moving, right? And the sons of Israel, I'm sure they sounded the trumpets and they set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sinai. Just as a side note, it says then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. At most, it was a lateral move, right? It wasn't an upgrade. It wasn't like, wow, we're going from the wilderness to paradise. No. And just sometimes we need to remember as Christians, we're in this thing for the long haul. And sometimes you're like, dang, I thought thought things were getting better. And now look, right? It's one wilderness to another. Because here's the deal. We're not supposed to find paradise in this life. That's the next life. We just be ready and we follow. And so notice how they... They, they moved from the first time according to the command, the sons of Judah with their standard according to their army. So following, and, and they named these people, Nashon, Aminadab, Nathaniel, Zorah, each individual. And, and I thought about this as they followed their leaders. I thought, <clears throat> these are just names. Look at the last guy on there, Zorah Shaddai. Who, what, right? But these were their leaders. And it reminded me that as Christians, we should know who our leaders are, right? we should pray for them we should we should know their names and it's not necessarily your fault if you don't but you could go online you could say hey i want to learn who our elders are now most of them were in the first service but i'm going to ask if you're a pastor or an elder here would you stand up for a moment most of them are either teaching or in the first service so there's a couple of them so um, you're like i i never saw that guy well these are these are three of your pastors or leaders and there's a bunch more there's probably about 12 or 13 so just pray for them right so They're they're following their leaders. Next, the standard of Reuben, according to their armies. and Shemuel. In fact, as they get near the end, the Kohathites set out carrying the holy objects, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. So everything's, okay, we've got to get this tent back up so we can put the ark back in it so God's presence can can rest here now. And then finally, down at the end, over the tribal armies of the sons of Benjamin and the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, which formed the rear guard for all the camps. Like, Really? we got to be last. we got to pick up people's trash. And someone went to the bathroom and blah, blah, blah. And Remember, the people in the back would have been the lepers and, and, the, and the outcasts. And, and in, the, in the book of Exodus, we learned that they were attacked from the rear. The Amalekites are like, let's attack them from the back. This was the march of the order of the sons of Israel by their armies. So, so Pastor, why are you saying follow your leaders? Well, there's a couple things I want you to think about. In every Christian church, right, God is the leader, right? Jesus is the leader here. He's the Lord, right? The Bible calls him the chief shepherd. Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me, but he leads us through leaders, okay? It's not either or, it's both. And so the Bible calls elders and pastors, shepherds and leaders. And the Bible tells us to follow your leaders. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple things. Number one, remember that leaders help direct us in a couple ways. One, by setting an example and by trying to cast a vision and and make decisions of which maybe that wasn't the one you would have chosen. But leaders also correct us. Like, Like even though They might not like that. It's a good thing to have somebody that cares enough about me to speak into my life if I lose my way, right? People are like, I don't want like anybody telling me to do. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. Listen, I'm an American. God, guns, and guts. There's this individuality, and I go, wait a minute. The Bible says, listen to these verses in Hebrews 13. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, Consider the result of their lifestyle and imitate their faith. So something profound about Christianity is Christianity is caught as well as taught. And I think if we were all thought back on our own experience, there are things you learned about following Christ from watching your parents, watching your leaders, watching people who are walking with God. So pray for our leaders. This is why God gives standards for leaders, for elders. And it's not charismatic personalities, it's character. It's godly, godly men who are trying to be above reproach and, and raise their families. And, and we don't have it all together. I, I struggle with sin just like everybody else and our pastors do, but pray for them. The Bible says in First Thessalonians, appreciate those who labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. Esteem them highly for their work. Like, think about some of these elders spend countless hours, right? They're not getting paid. They're leading for the gospel. And I want to encourage you that there can be times that you can make it easier or harder on them. So listen to Hebrews 13, 17. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. They keep watch over your souls. And they're going to have to give an account to God. Like, well, I don't like this decision. Well, you might not like it, but they have to give an account to God and it says so so do this let them do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you now we all get that right parenting i want my kids to like me right but there are times that i will take them in a direction they didn't want to go anybody who's ever been over people we realize how dangerous that is remember your your pal when he became a safety in school and he was like a like a crazy you know dictator he goes oh, you're a safety man and people sometimes the power corrupts them and we get that and and you know if if you just want to be a leader to have people under you get a job in the graveyard you have all the people you want under you <laughs> but realize that being leaders we're called by god we have to give an account james 3 says this let not many of you be teachers because you'll have a stricter judgment. But pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, pray for your pastors, pray for Pastor Bob, because the buck stops with Bob, right? So when people like something, I go, yeah, me and Bob, we were thinking of if they don't, I go, I told them, you know, I mean I didn't. <laughs> no, but think about being lead pastor, being leaders, being elders. Pray for them. And 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 I don't have like an agenda here like, but but just think about how we're supposed to follow the leaders and pray that we can move forward might not be exactly, people will say to me, I really liked it better when we were just a real small church. And I go, so did I. There's I real. I go, yeah, I did. But, and I understand that. Some people want a small church, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But the direction God's leading us and we're growing and so, so we're moving in a direction. But the third thing we're going to find is that we have to learn how to choose Christ and Christ's people over the world. It's a really interesting passage because Moses reaches out to his brother-in-law and he says, hey man, I want you to come with us. And his brother-in-law has gone, you know, I don't know, I, I, I think I'd rather go back to my family. And this becomes a perfect picture and paradigm of, of the whole idea of what it means to be a Christian because if you're going to follow Christ, you have to make a decision to turn your back on anybody or anything that's going to get in the way from that. Jesus said, if you love your father and mother more than me, you can't be my disciple. A lot of people don't want to give up the pleasures of sin. He goes, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? There are many reasons why people choose not to follow Christ. But but parents, as you're trying to, and they're going, I just want to be with my friends, and this is what they do. And you're trying to say, listen, but that's not what we do because we're going to try to follow Christ. You understand that. And on a personal level, some of you have a spouse or a, a parent or a friend or a loved one, and you're trying to plead with them to make a decision to follow Christ, and they're not making it easy for you. And many people, I can tell you right now, are in hell because they were more worried about what others thought about them than what Jesus thought about them. And to follow Christ, I have to make a choice. Okay, but I want to talk about this whole, whole thing. Let's, let's look at how this unfolds. It says, then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. So Ruel was his father-in-law. Hobab was his brother-in-law. He's like, yo, Hob. They've been together for like a year. And Hob lived in the wilderness. He knew the wilderness. He knew where the oasis was. He knew where the strong wind blew. He knew that's not a good place. To so Moses says to him, listen, we're setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I'll give it to you. Now come with us. Come with us. Why? Because we will do you good, for the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. Reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress, right? He's reading the Bible. He realizes he's in the city of destruction. He's pleading with his family, come with me. And they're going, you're crazy. And he leaves the city of destruction, holding his ears, and just running, fleeing from the wrath to come. We're pleading with people, follow Christ with our kids, with our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones. But listen, the Lord has promised good. Did you know that's a, that's a lesser known line from Amazing Grace? The Lord has promised good to us. His word my hope secures. God has promised good things for those who choose him and his people. So let me just go over this real quick. Number one, the purpose of this choice to separate from the world is because the world's going to hell. Hell yeah, I'm sorry, I I would like to be more politically correct. You'll be in a Christless eternity. But the Bible says, you'll be in hell. And 1 John says, don't love this world. Don't love the things that are in this world. The lusts of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, the pride of life and possessions, and many of the values and ways that the Lord lives. The Bible says, don't love that because the world is passing away. But if you turn and do the will of God, you'll live forever. And so, We need to hear God's word. We need to be reminded that I have to choose. Do I I want the things of this world or do I want to follow Christ? And so the purpose is that we learn to separate, right? It's a process. So God says in 2 Corinthians 6, when you become a Christian, come out from among them and be separate and don't touch the unclean thing. So there is a sense of separation. If I was sinning with my friends, I need to move away from that. I need to make decisive decisions to turn away from anything that is against God's purposes in the Bible. But there's a difference between separation and isolation. Some Christians take separation too far. The Bible says Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled and separated from sinners. But the same Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. And so God's not asking us to to not have unsaved friends. He's asking us not to sin with them. He's asking us to be an influence on them rather than them being an influence on us. And and there's no rule for that. It's not black and white. You have to decide. Bad company corrupts good morals. I can't keep going to this place with these people doing this because they're dragging me down. But sometimes we need to go out there and try to bring them to Christ. And if you just show up and go, hey, you want to go to church? And you don't spend time with them or build relationships or love them, why would they go to church? They're like, I already thought you were weird. So so we learn from scripture that this idea of choosing God and his people over the world is, is separation, but not isolation. It's also community over individuality. A lot of people think Christianity is just like me and Jesus. You won't read about that in the Bible. I can't tell you how many Christians that don't go to church are like, yeah, I follow Jesus. There's no such thing. In the New Testament, if you get saved, you get baptized, and you become part of a community. And the Bible says... Do not forsake assembling together with other Christians. This whole idea, I worship God on the deer stand. Well, you're not worshiping according to the Bible. You need to be part of a local church. It doesn't need to be this one. But we need one another and we need community. And as Christians, God's, God's not saying, don't have any fun. The Bible says God has created all things for us to gratefully enjoy. My wife and I were up in Maine and I don't like the cold. Right. She's been trying to get me to go up to Maine. They said, we come up and preach. I go, I hate the cold. So God had great mercy. It's normally like 20 below. It was like 30 degrees. Bright sun, no wind. I'm cross-country skiing, and Tammy's going, see, I told you it's nice up here. I go, are you crazy? This is an enigma. It's never 30 degrees up here in February. God just knew I would die. I would, <laughs> I would run back barefooted to get out of Maine. God wants us to enjoy things. He's given us these things to gratefully enjoy, but not to let the world become idols, our possessions, our vacations, our fun. We have to remember right now, people are dying all over the world for their faith in Christ. They're just trying to get a meal and live. We're praying for the saints in Syria. They're struggling. And so we learn that, hey, there's a purpose to separating. There's a process. But finally, there's promises. The Lord has promised good to us. Think about the promises that God makes to those who follow him. Jesus says, number one, I promise that that I will be present with you always. That's incredible to have God with you in your life, never to leave you. But that's not true if you haven't chosen Christ. He's not in everybody. The Bible says if you receive Christ by faith, then you're a child of God. And then he says, I'm with you always. And so I have his presence, but I also have his power because there's things that I want to change in my life. And he goes, I'm going to help you. It's not to knock out the other guy that I have. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. It's I can can be kind to my wife. I can try to be pure. I can try to show love when I'm selfish because I have the power of Christ. He's promised good to us. I have the provisions of Christ. So many people are wondering... How am I going to pay the bills, the economy? If you're a Christian, God says, I will supply all your needs. You take care of what's important to God, and he'll take care of what's important to you. My Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. The other things will be added to you. What a promise. And these are just promises in this life. Jesus says, no one who has left anything in this life, father, mother, sister, brother, won't receive a hundredfold in this life. And you're like, does that mean I'll get a hundred houses? No, it means there'll be a hundred people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Say you need a house, you can use mine. But that's just in this life. What about the life to come? Peter says, we have precious and magnificent promises. Not only am I promised the presence of God in this life, I'm promised to be present with God in the life to come. And he's going to be present with me forever. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And there will be no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. And not only do I have a promise that I'll be present with God, my people will too. Everyone that I love and know that has accepted Christ, the Bible says, don't sorrow as though you have no hope. You didn't lose them. They're only lost if you don't know where they are. They're with Christ. So comfort one another. Some of you, as you get closer to to that river to cross, remember, you're going to see your loved ones again. If they've come to Christ, and we're going to be together with Christ, and so we have these promises, and so I learned to choose God's people and teach my kids that, and some of them are going, I don't want to do that, and you're like, well, listen, I get it. When you're 18, you do it your way, like Burger King, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, and I'm going to train you the best I can to follow Christ, okay? You know, why don't my kids jump up and go, let's go to church, Well, they're not all little Samuels going, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Remember, the Bible says foolishness is bound in the hearts of children. And sometimes a little correction and discipline will help with that to point them towards the Lord. But finally, the last thing is that we learn to depend on God's presence. Like being a Christian is not easy. That's why I know few people want to do it. Jesus says broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many people are down that road. Narrow is the way that leads to life. What, I got to stop doing that? I don't want to stop. Well, but Jesus helps us and he's with us. And so at the end of this passage, I find something really fascinating. Moses began to pray. As they moved around, he just began to pray. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord, journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. Like, ah, I love that word, rest. Like, even today, don't call me probably around 3 o'clock unless it's an emergency, because I'm going to get my beauty nap, and God knows I need a hibernation. I like rest. But I want you to remember that as Christians, there's no such thing as retiring. You don't retire from being a Christian. You don't live for the dream life of playing shuffleboard all day. And I have no one in mind here. But the Bible says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. For then they've entered their rest. And then their labors follow after them. So as long as we're in this world, it's it's this balance of saying, I need to work for Christ. I need to work for the Lord. I want to walk with the Lord. But I I can rest in the Lord. So so Moses was kind of getting in his sense of going, okay, let's follow the Lord. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out. But look at this prayer that Moses began to, to, to adopt. And I want us to learn from this because we're all trying to walk with God and bring our families along as a, as a community of believers. It came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. And then when it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord. Return to the myriad thousands of Israel. And you're kind of like, wait, what? What is God just sitting around going... I don't feel like doing anything. Hey, get up, get up, God, come on. And all right, God, So, so there's a metaphor here, but the idea of asking God to rise up, he's not just saying rise up, he's saying, Lord, rise up against my enemies. And God knows if you're a Christian, you've got enemies. Enemy number one is called the devil, and he's got a lot of helpers that are after us. But enemy number two is a lot of people who are his helpers, right? So it's not easy being a Christian but we learn to persevere in spite of our enemies, in spite of our obstacles. So real quick, I want to give you a couple things to pray for. As Moses learned just to pray, number one, pray for God's protection. Just make that a regular part of your prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep, but then go, Lord, would you protect me from two things? Physical harm. There's terrorists. There's gunmen. There's, there's, there's people that are out to get your children but Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, pray that the Lord will deliver us from evil men, because not all have faith, but also for spiritual protection. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Listen, if you have kids, grandkids, loved ones, pray over their souls, because they could be the captain of the youth group and learn 100 verses, but I can tell you, I've been at this a long time, and I've seen many of them go off to college and come back and go, I don't believe any of that stuff anymore. And I'm not sure there could be many things that would break our hearts more than that. And we have to be prepared for that. And praying, dear God, protect my child's mind. Because I I can't be there all the time. Protect their heart. Protect all of us, Lord, from the evil one. Every day Satan's looking to pluck sheep. To deceive them. To ruin them. To get them to fall into sin and stop being part of a Christian community. And none of us are immune to that. So pray for God's protection for your leaders, for one another. This game ain't over, and any of us could fall, so we pray that we'll finish. But secondly, you can also pray for God's provision. Lord, I need your help here. Would you meet this need? You can also pray for his presence. It's okay to say, Lord, be with me. The psalmist would do that, even though I know he's with me. Lord, I need you to be with me in a special way. I'm going through a dark valley, and only you can come to my comfort. Pray for his power. Lord, I need your power. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I get around that person and I just lose it. And God's going, I got that. You abide in me. I will bear fruit. I will give you power. You can do this through Christ who strengthens you. It's not trying harder. Exodus fourteen fourteen. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. So pray for God's power to change. And then pray for his peace. Return, O oh Lord. Lord, my head's spinning at times. Just just let your peace fall upon me. Let me get a a time of rest in my soul. And part of that is to get apart with him where you can just simmer down. Jesus said, come apart and rest a while. So we need to think about that. If you don't come apart and rest a while with the Lord, you're just gonna come apart. So thank the Lord that we can learn to depend on his presence like Moses did. So not that hard to follow, right? Four things, be ready for the trumpet. Follow the leaders, choose God's people over the world, and learn to depend on God's presence. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your awesome word. It's good, it's clear, it's convicting, but it's comforting. Thank you for what you're doing at Riverstone Church. Your spirit is working. You are building your church, Jesus, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I pray for this church that we will grow, that we will celebrate, that we will sound forth the trumpet of the gospel. Pray for all of our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones. Father, that you will keep them, keep us from the evil one. May we see great victories and troubled marriages and addictions and sin struggles that we don't even know about. And Lord, just help us to edify each other. And thank you for your presence. Lord Jesus, the trumpet might sound today, so we, we wanna let go and be ready. And if you're here today and and you want to choose to accept Christ as your savior right now, the best you know how, you can just tell him that. Just right there in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose. I believe you're coming again. And I turn my life over to follow you. And I ask you to forgive me. And if that's your prayer this morning, tell someone. Come and tell me or tell someone that you've chosen to follow Christ. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you all, Lord willing, next Sunday.